702. 702. On 92.7. And 106 FM. Streaming on 702.co.za. The 702 app. And on DSTV channel 856. I have to mention this before we start our interview with Brad. It's because I looked at, of course, I looked at the WhatsApp messages. Hey, Papadi. And guess what? Someone wants to talk to Joop Joop. <laughs> <laughs> the last place that we should be asking for Joop Joop. Anyway, Brad, good evening and thank you for joining us. Good evening. How are you doing? No, great stuff, Brad. Brad, I mean, obviously, um, you know, we, we're in a very interesting space. Um, a lot of people, including myself, uh, have constantly heard this term, the new normal, um, an uncertain future, I guess a future that none of us uh, are prepared for, a future that we're not ready for, a future that we can't imagine. Um, and I guess that does leave us with that question, the WTF, the whiskey, tango foxtrot of it all. <laughs> what the future? So it is uncertain. Um, there's obviously a lot of uh, panic at the moment. And, but this is panic that's been building for a while. It's panic that it's not a new conversation. It's just a new context. For a good number of years already, um, there's been a conversation about digitization and relevance and are our roles going to remain the same how are we going to adapt? And there's been resistance and there's been fear. All that happened in the past couple of months, three months, let's say, is we were just fast-tracked 10 years ahead to where we, we should have been going a lot faster. Unfortunately, there's additional circumstance, which is the, the sadness really around what a lot of people are going to be experiencing or have been for the past couple of months and will be now that things are really getting extreme. But our core focus is, is the world of work. And, um, and how do we start to adapt? How do we move into this new future, this new normal that, that isn't really normal? But the question that a lot of people are asking is, what is normal? Uh, and so that's, that's the WTF, the, the what is the future? And how do we embrace this world that we're stepping into now? And, and it's interesting because there's many different mindsets. Everything is uncertain right now. So how do we start to find certainty? Um, because we've got to move forward. You know, our, our big... It's still human. Our, our big banner at the moment is business continuity through human continuity because we've got to keep going. You know, we, we all kind of stalled for a few months, mm. but COVID can no longer be an excuse. We've got to keep going. But that is the, the, the key question for me because, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of what you're saying there and, and what COVID has then done because COVID has, quite frankly, changed a hell of a lot when we look at business. And I think that yeah. we took a lot of things for granted. And yeah. I'm looking at how many businesses are operating now. In fact, I had a bit of a run-in with a business not too long ago. It was a hardware store that I went to and I got very bad service. And I told them that as it stands now, because of social distancing, you can have fewer customers in the shop. Um, yeah. You know, you, you, uh, people have to, you, you literally have to count and make sure that you have the right number of people in the shop at any given point in time. You can't just run business as usual. Um, yeah. So ultimately, it's, you know, you, you need to make sure that you get bang for your buck. In other words, if, if whether it be Brad or Gersh that's in that store, you need to make sure that you maximize that rather than losing out because of poor service. I mean, these are some of the changes that uh, I guess business owners just need to be aware of. I think there's there's a couple of important considerations there. There's business, and we've got to conduct business. Mm -hmm. But there's also right now, you know, it's it's amazing if you look at the decisions at the exact same time that we're now spiking. I mean, the infection rate is is going crazy at the moment. Uh, It's exponentially compounding on itself. 
At the exact same time, we have this opening up of economy, of restaurants, and that could, had to happen because people had to get going. People have to be earning a living. Um, you know, we couldn't lock down for, for any longer. So the problem is that as consumers and as work as a workforce, we're tired, we're frustrated, and so people have gotten lax. If you look at right now how casual people have become about the virus, if I get it, I get it. There's kind of this mm. mindset out there, and it's not everybody. There are a lot of people who are still taking it very seriously because at the same time, there's a lot of information coming out now that says it's not only immunocompromised and the elderly and whatnot who are vulnerable. Anybody who gets it is now starting to display ongoing complexities and physiological and medical challenges that you didn't expect to have. So now the game has changed. Now it's, well, no, you really don't want to get this thing because you don't know. It may not kill you, but it might make you very sick forever. So that whole landscape has changed. So now we've relaxed, but now we've got to dial it up again because the game has changed. Then we go, I actually this afternoon went to a hardware store as well. And I was profoundly blown away by how almost all of the measures have fallen away. There was no, um, no one monitoring the front. There was nobody cleaning the trolleys. There was no uh, monitoring how many people were going in. It was very little distancing at play. Mm. And this is, I mean, a big, a big hardware retailer. So, and you're starting to see it becoming more and more casual. And that's going to be a problem because what it means is that we're going to be infected for a lot longer. Now, I'm, not a, I'm, I'm not a medical specialist. I'm a workplace environment specialist. But it's going to then affect the workplace because the other problem is if we go back to the workplace, people cannot perform if they're stuck in fear, if they're worrying for their health and their safety. Mm, mm. So if the workplace isn't made safe, you've then got that challenge of, well, how do you expect people to show up to drive your business forward? to contribute, to give their discretionary efforts if they're not feeling like you're really caring about them. And um, that's been a theme for a long time. It's just now got another layer on it, but it's a very, very intense layer. So that brings a, a whole level of complexity. And then the second one that's becoming a very loud noise at the moment, and this is a message that I'm sending to leaders, saying if you don't need your people to come back to work, don't force them to come back to work. Learn new leadership styles. Learn to lead from a distance. Learn to learn from a distance because the reality of it is the less we're running around, the faster we're going to be able to get whatever this thing is under control. But we're seeing a lot of business leaders insisting that people come back to work because the leader is uncomfortable leading from a distance, hasn't adapted, hasn't learned a new leadership style, is still micromanaging, whereas the employees are saying, hey, we're very happy at home. In fact, performance mm, mm. has even increased and improved from home. But leaders haven't worked out how to do this thing from a distance. And I say that as, a, again, a, a cautious generalization. Actually, you're making a very good point there because I think one of the biggest complaints uh, anecdotally that I've heard is that very notion or that issue of being able uh, to lead from a distance. And to be quite frank and honest with you, when thinking about a new normal, it's not just now that we have to worry about COVID-19 and, of course, social distancing and people rather working from home. But ultimately, I mean, it should become a new normal because it's not just going to end with COVID-19 uh, at this particular phase. We know that there's a high likelihood that ne come next year, this, you know, next year, this time, that we might have a similar situation as to the one that we have right now, number one. 
Number two, um, that we, we can't forget about the fact that the future, for all intents and purposes, is showing us that this uh, strain of this coronavirus family, uh, for all intents and purposes, could grow and, 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 you know, multiply and that we have more problems as time goes on. So maybe it would become uh, that your, your, your study at home becomes the, you know, the office of the future. So I think there's a very important point to with what you with what you just shared. The first thing people have to realize is that for a number of years, uh, organisations have been experimenting with remote working, and uh, you know we 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 focus on on organisational cultures, so and employee experience. So a lot of uh, assessment and analysis has gone into how do you create culture, how do you sustain culture, how do you enhance experience with this disconnection of remote working really important to understand that this experience that we are having is not remote working. This is working from home, or this is rather stuck at home, trying to manage a pandemic and all the complexities that come with it whilst trying to get one's job done. Remote working means there's no pandemic. Kids are going to school. We're free to come and go as we want. We have time to organize. We can get the Wi-Fi set up. You can get your study set up. You're not worrying about will there be food in the stores. That's a whole different context. So the world we should have been moving to and have kind of gradually been moving to for a couple of years, but very, very slowly, is one of a little bit more of a separation where people don't have to come to work. We don't have to be, if you think about the ripple effect of that, less cars on the road, less car accidents, less deaths, less impact on the ozone, less raping of the planet for fuel. And they can go on and on and on and on as to why there's so much more benefit mm. coupled with Families being able to spend more time together, parents able to be at home with the kids. I've had so many leaders of businesses that I've been working with during this time, um, really excited at the time they've had with their kids, excited at the possibility of post this, being able to work from home, being able to go to the dance recital and the cricket match and whatever else, because their performance should be being measured differently. Back to that leadership thing. Leaders who are managing or needing by making sure you've got your butt in your chair for 10 hours or mm. many hours and think that that's leading, are missing, missing it completely. They need to be measuring impact as opposed to time spent. Because, you know, if you know what's required of you to be showing up in terms of your contract with your organization, how you get that done is irrelevant as long as you're getting it done. And that's what, again, so many viewers haven't worked out. It requires a different way of communicating, requires building trust in both directions between leader and participant or team and team and leader and organization. This trust is one of the things we see in organizations does not exist. So when you get put under pressure, mm. um, urgent pressure of a pandemic, and you haven't created trust, now you've got a big problem. And those are the challenges, some of the challenges. I mean, that's such a valuable point that you are making there now, because, I mean, despite the fact that, uh, as you had mentioned, all of the other, um, you know, side issues are long gone. Um, ultimately, you know, things like, for example, being stuck in traffic for hours, uh, not having a formal lunch hour people not being distracted by, say, colleagues constantly chatting in offices and, you know, I'm going to so-and-so's office and they in turn come to my office, etc., etc. Sadly, a lot of people working from home are finding themselves working the same number of hours or, I mean, or not the same, but rather more hours because now uh, the time that you would have spent in traffic um, is now substituted by you sitting in front of your computer. 
um, the time that you would have spent driving home from work is still you sitting at your computer up until, you know, probably 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock at night. And that for me is, 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 is sort of that idea that people feel that they have to constantly prove that they are actually productive and that they are actually working. And that is why you're still sending emails at 7 p.m. So you hit the nail on the head. What's happened is that there's this perception that I need to prove that I'm, I'm, I'm doing my job. I'm adding value. Mm. So people are, are spending way longer, um, 14, 15 hours at the laptop, at the computer, online, being forced to be online, available at any moment for a mm, thing, mm. for a Zoom, for a, and the thing is that when you're working at home, your your structure is different. You may have kids that are um, doing homeschooling; they need to be attended to. There's meals, there's all sorts of things going on. That's why I say the structure needs to change. The way we measure performance needs to change. But also, the problem is this perception of I need to because there's panic around losing jobs at the moment. So people are burning themselves out working longer and harder or appearing, creating the appearance of working longer and harder um, so that they perceive that they'll be safe. The problem is we're asking questions of leaders. How are you measuring the return on investment, the ROI of that time mm. spent? Do people know what's required of them? Well, they're just panicking and putting time in. So, yeah, there, there is definitely a um, shift in, and it's a, it's a very poor assumption in terms of performance. And the performance measures have to change, but it's that again requires leadership changing its its style. The thing is that what should be happening is those additional saved hours should be going into into self nurturing. You know, if you're not sitting in traffic, uh, people should be educating themselves, doing or informal education online. They should be meditating. They should be sleeping. They should be exercising. Um, they should be doing other things. Or finally making sure that we're getting through, uh, you know, the the child's curriculum, either on D6 or or whatever other app we're using at that particular point in time. I mean, that's unfortunately, you know, again, you know, this future that we're living in um, is that, you know, the amount of free time, because previously um, your child's education was not 100 percent, but largely the responsibility of the teacher at school and you do the supplementary stuff. So you ensure yeah. that they're studying, you ensure uh, that they are doing their homework. Now you are responsible for taking little Johnny or, or whoever through their actual uh, curriculum. You need to make sure yeah. that they are ready. And when the teacher does do whatever they do during the course of the day, that lesson, it's not definitely not the same amount of time as what it was whilst they were actively at school. So that in itself means that you are far more stretched. Now you don't have the option of a quick uh, peanut butter and jam sandwich at a particular point in time. Uh, now you have to make sure that you are preparing meals and that you're getting everything ready throughout the course of the day. So it is a whole new future that we're looking at right now. It is a whole new future. I think it's also important to realize everybody is experiencing it differently. So what one person is experiencing mm. in their home, dislocated from the office, is different from what somebody else is. Our home environments are different. Our family contexts are different. So we need to be communicating a lot more specifically, a lot more empathetically, to really understand, as leaders and as colleagues, what's going on for other people. Because this is not a time to be expecting super high performance. You've got to remember, people are stressed out of their brains right now. Um, Yet, it is a time to be expecting people to be communicating about what their needs are, and for, as I said, people to be looking to move forward. We've got to keep on thriving as best as possible. 
It requires a different level of empathy and compassion from leaders to just first check where are my people at. And once I've understood where my people are at and I've understood and done what I need to to make sure they're okay, okay, then we look for performance. But pushing, I see too many leaders pushing for performance without caring about their people. And there's a huge problem there. And I think the problem with it is also they hadn't got this right before. A lot of leaders hadn't worked this out before. So how are you going to suddenly work it out when you're also stressed out of your brain about your own personal well-being and your own stuff going on? So we, we narrow the thinking gap. We do a lot. We've got a lot of different models and constructs to help them not have to do the hard thinking about what they need to be thinking about, mm. but rather give them a model and a framework. And those guides are critical. Just so important to have a, a not just be stuck in a vacuum of uncertainty. Where can you put your feet? So we have a lot of conversations about where, if you were crossing a busy rapid, where, what, what is certain? What are the stones on which you can put your feet? And we guide them to find those stones because on the other side of that needs to be flexibility. We've got to be adaptable. We've got to be agile. Can I, can right I ask now. you about the ad- adaptability and the agility issue? Yeah. Because we, I think, you know, for anyone that has studied an MBA or done any form of business <laughs> course, a short one, a long one, whatever the case may be, of course, we'll always come across the example of Kodak, right? Um, yeah. The very company that in essence invented the digital uh, camera, but then, you know, decided that no, people are always going to stick with film. And lo and yeah. behold, where we are today, and Kodak is a long lost, uh, you know, forgotten name, literally. It's, it's a legend whispered in, 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 you know, in, in the corridors of people of a particular age. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, that, for example, is something that still happened over a particular point in, you know, over a particular course of time. Uh, when the digital camera came out, it, it definitely didn't seem uh, to be something that would ever trump, um, you know, the old film uh, camera and the old photograph that people have in their old albums and so on and so forth. But the point that I'm ultimately making is that that, that was that was change that came as a result of business uh, and, and, and innovation and business models changing, et cetera, et cetera. It was the type of thing of adapt or die. Unfortunately, with COVID-19 and this abrupt future that it has introduced us to all of a sudden, the big issue there is, is that we weren't prepared for it, number one. Number two, there is almost no business course that has been set up for this one to tell us about how you need to be careful and not be the next Kodak because we've been running our businesses and we've been running our offices largely on that old uh, industrial revolution model of telling people that you need to be wearing the uniform to the factory every single day. You only take lunch at 12 o'clock. You only ask for permission to go to the toilet, etc., 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 and now all of a sudden we're asking people to, hey, listen, trust your employees. Uh, your call center agents will be making the number of calls that they need to if they could log into the system or if they have sufficient data or airtime or whatever the case is. How do we move from the, the industrial revolution way of thinking to a modern way of thinking of saying, I can actually leave Gershwell alone and expect him to be productive and to report back and show how productive he has been and probably exceed what he has been doing in the office? That's a, a great question. So let me, let me put a bit of science on this. Mm. So what we did, so the book you mentioned that, that we published about a year and a half ago, we being Andy Golding, my, my co-author and I, and my business partner, 
we we have an obsession for employee experience and what is it that switches people on and grows them because there are no neutral moments in organization every moment of engagement every reaction every communication every response uh is either switching somebody on uh creating that they're connected want to participate they're motivated they're inspired and growing them having them think having them participate intellectually we're switching them off, disconnecting them, uninspiring them, demotivating them, and depleting them, having them not contribute intellectually. And there are no neutral moments. So we went on a, on a massive research exercise to understand what do the best companies around the world to work for do to create uh, awesome employee experience where people are switched on and grown and are participating. Now, why did we do that? Because there's a direct link between employee experience switched on employees who are thinking and want to give up their discretionary efforts and innovation. Organizations come to us the whole time and say, we're not innovating, we're not coming up with new stuff. And we say, you don't have an innovation problem. You have an employee experience problem. You have a lack of trust, lack of psychological safety. People do not feel safe to risk, to experiment, to iterate for learning and to try new things because of the employee experience. So it's a misdiagnosis. Now, in this context, organizations that have understood that over the past few years were easy, easily um, adapting to what's going on because of the pandemic. They have already created the trust. They've already created the psychological safety. We found 12 critical components of employee experience, and that's what we wrote about, built a model around it and wrote about it. Now, what we're finding is organizations, and, and those 12, sorry, are all affecting each other the whole time. Things like meaningful communication, knowledge flow, uh, stoke, creating wow moments. And I could go on, but they're all affecting each other the whole time. Now, if you understand that, and if you are simply going through the processes of making sure that all of those components of employee experience are at the highest achievable levels of experience constantly, you create an environment where there's psychological safety, you create an environment where there's trust, and people are able to be agile, to be trying new things, to be adapting, to not be caught up in the old way of doing things because they feel safe. Organizations that haven't got those critical components right are currently stuck because they don't have that agility. They don't have that trust and that sense of safety. And the most important thing that they don't have is clear communication because that right now for us is the most mission critical uh, essential of this disconnectedness. Uh, there's lots of this, there's disorganization, there's dislocation, discombobulation, but lack of communication will create that there's a stuckness. So there's a construct, get these 12 things right, and it'll enable your organization to be responding to this world that we're in. And responding means responding on a weekly basis. Mm, mm. You know, we, we're, seeing, we're seeing flip organizations flipping in terms of what they used to do and what they do now. In terms of your Kodak example, Kodak, that was a reluctance to adopt the direction the world was moving in. I mean, as you said, they, they invented digital photography. They patented the digital photography. However, they didn't actually implement digital photography. They were earning a royalty um, or mm. a patent fee. And that only woke up when suddenly the patent, fee, the patent had expired. And by then, it was too late. Because, so they quickly launched. I mean, this is what organizations are doing now. They then launched a great digital camera and failed. Why did it fail? Because we all moved to photography on our phones. Mm -hmm. So we're behind the curve. 
Now, organizations that are sitting behind the curve because they're stuck in their old business models and haven't got the, the capability, they, the people don't feel safe, are not able to adapt to new business models. And you've seen perfect examples of it. There are companies who've shifted um, very quickly to using their existing model, but satisfying a different client need. So if they had an existing infrastructure that was manufacturing a certain thing a certain way, and they suddenly saw a new need, boom, they were making new things for the new world using what they had. That was one, that's one pivot. The other is people who are genuinely coming up with new ideas that they, they were not doing before at all, but to satisfy the current um, market. They've identified there's a market there, they're coming up for, with ideas for the market. So, I mean, things if you think about, um, I know, for example, the um, standing desk industry, mm. it's crazy. Because, I mean, thousands of these things. I've got one here. It was delivered within one day of me ordering. <laughs> and the guy said, they just can't keep up. The machine's just churning these things out. This is a shop fitter who, obviously, there's no shop fitting going on because no one's able to build or install anything. Mm. But he's made five, six, seven thousand standing desks. Um, another, another shop fitter that I know, because I come out of that industry previously uh, as an architect, they've made 10,000 safety screens because they had a factory sitting idle. They happened to be in Europe at a, at a show in January, and they mm. predicted what was going to happen. They saw Europe shutting down, and they thought, oh, hold on, if this happens in South Africa, what are we going to do? And they really started making plans. And that was a simple adaptation using what they've already got. And then other people have been coming up with fresh stuff, where they had, you know, had nothing to start with, responding to what's going on in terms of the... Uh, uh, the current pandemic. So, but again, being safe to think, people are participating. And then I'm seeing organizations that are stuck because they will continue and want to continue doing things the way they've always done it. And it's a product of leadership. It's a leadership conversation. So let's let's quickly touch on We Are Still Human. Very interesting um, title for the book that you have co-authored with Andy Golding, uh, your, yourself, Brad Shawkind, uh, and Andy Golding having uh, put that book together. What does it deal with? Is it much to do with what we, you and I had discussed this evening and where can people get their grubby little hands on, on said book? <laughs> so the book, the, the full title is We Are Still Human and Work Shouldn't Suck. And um, and that is a that that byline is critical. And we're I'm going to turn that into a poster, by the way. Absolutely. And and what what inspired that was we've been watching the world go digital crazy for the past handful of years, mm. um, and the obsession with technology and digitization meant that there was less of an emphasis on good humaning, just the basics of switching people on, of of how do we relate to each other, of how do we create that workplace is a great place for human beings to be because it's where we all spend the bulk of our waking day. And um, that technology is not a replacement for a human being, but merely a tool that should actually create even better humaning. So we decided <laughs> to, to explore what, does, what, what is required, and that's why we went on that research exercise to see what are the best companies around the world obsessed about getting right in the human experience. And it was very funny because... You know, we, we looked at lots of other books that were on the shelves and lots of models, and they all either have five or seven, the five elements mm. of this or the seven elements, of, and we found 12. And um, we built the model, and we went back to these organizations all over the world, and we said to them, this model feels very heavy. Can we remove any of it? And they were like, no, these things have to be there. So we've stuck with 12, and it's proven to be the right choice. 
And what the book, we were very intentional. That this, there are incredible books on the shelves, but most of the books we came across, and we read a lot, tell you what to do, but they don't tell you how to do it. So we were very intentional around writing a book that tells you how to do it, how to build uh, a human-centric business in a world that's gone digital crazy. And that's not to, to discount technology. It's to focus on people understanding technology is happening. Uh, but to go back to the basics of, of good humaning, and it, it talks to leaders. It's not only a leadership book. It's a, it's a book for every single person who wakes up in the morning to go and engage other human beings. And that was the whole point of it. Thank you so much for your time, Brad. It was honestly uh, an awesome conversation. And I mean, the one thing that for me, uh, you know, all of everything that we've discussed, the one thing that it brings it down to is the notion of dealing with human beings and being able to deal with human beings. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of people are happy to be able to quote what new digital technology is out and about and can solve whatever problem for them. But the sad fact of the matter is people aren't. Uh, focusing on the human beings that's behind the business and and actually paying attention to those people's needs, Um, the advancement in whatever space, um, and ultimately the care. People think that you just throw a salary at someone, a couple of bonuses, assuming that such a thing is still (laughs) earned. Um, yeah. And that's about it. That's that's ultimately all that people, uh, you know, deserve, and that's all that they ever want. They don't need uh, a human being uh, to relate to, and that's what uh, unfortunately we've done. Yeah, no, absolutely. So you asked where the book's available. Closing comment: It's available as an ebook on Amazon. We are still human, and work shouldn't suck. It's also available in South Africa on Loot, um, and then at exclusive books in the bookstores. And they can also email us um, at stillhuman.co.za is our website. Uh, we also sell books. Thank you so much, mate. All the best to you. Thank you. Cheers. That was uh, Brad Shortkin. He is, of course, uh, the uh, co-author of, um, uh, along with Andy Golding, uh, this book, uh, We Are Still Human and Work Shouldn't Suck.